Yeah, I think you just have to set your expectations appropriately and then uh, just use it as fuel to work harder because it, nobody knows the uh, the thing that really ticks in Spotify and Apple Music and that grabs. You just have to try different things and be open to change. Today's guest is Riley Humphrey. He is the guitarist for the band Last Night Saved My Life, who will be playing in the Leopard Lounge of the Temple Theater in Saginaw, Michigan on November 24th. In our discussion today, Riley describes the origins of the group and the way they have evolved as they have become better musicians and started to have a leisure activity become oriented toward a career. Well, Riley, thank you so much for being with us today. Um, I know everybody at the Temple Theater is very excited about um, the show that uh, Last Night Saved My Life is going to be performing. And I wanted to jump on the podcast here and just talk a little bit more about uh, the process of being in a band and writing songs and creativity and how that works in a musical sense and what that looks like for you as an individual and how it how it works as a band. Um, so with that in mind, tell me a little bit about just the formation, a little bit of the origin of Last Night Saved My Life. Yeah, thanks, man. It's good to see you. Um, so we're, <laughs> we're a, a, funny, a funny case of a band that formed sort of how social media developed because of how social media developed. So we, uh, we met in high school and the only band change that we've had is a different drummer. So our old drummer, Aaron, um, left the band and uh, it might've been 2013, 14. I can't remember the exact year. And then Eric is now been our longtime drummer. So other than that, we're all original members, but uh, Justin and I, who Justin's the other guitarist, went to high school together at Freeland. And uh, we found Aaron at high school in the lunch line. I just thought he looked like a kid who played music. And so I asked him and he said, I play drums. And then the next day after school, we went out over to his house and, and we jammed kind of garage style. Um, and then Ryan, we found on uh, through Hopevale Church, Aaron saw him playing the bass and I think the bongos <laughs> at like a youth group event. And so we're like, all right, there he is. There's our bass player. He had straightened hair at the time. Um, that was the look. And then Wilson, uh, Justin had played soccer with him. And so we discovered his MySpace page where he had his music up and he had recorded his own music. We look back on that now and we're, we're even Wilson says, oh man, that, that stuff sucked. but. It was like 10 years ago. So yeah, yeah we, well, we, we our, our, show. Yeah, for our, our younger listeners, they're gonna have we're gonna have to put a note in here about what MySpace is. <laughs> yeah, when you could when you could have your, your top songs and you would select your top friends. Yeah. It's yeah. a whole different social media world. Uh as you all were coming together, uh you know, tell me a little bit about um just the purpose for forming a band versus sort of going solo? Like, was there a camaraderie in that? Did you have high hopes of uh, career um, aspirations or, or was this just sort of strictly a, a social social kind of thing? Did you, did you start with a lot of purpose or, or has that purpose formed a little bit more as you've gone on? It's a really good question. Actually, I don't think we've ever been asked that. So I, I love this one. Um, I think it formed early on. It was like, oh it's cool to be in a band we just want to play music we suck at writing songs but we'll try it out and learn um 
and we played our talent show at our high school and uh, covered Fallout Boy. And, and then at that point, I think the only songwriter in the band at the time was Wilson. And um, he just kept coming back to practice until he was like, oh, I guess I'm in the band. Um, and then found some purpose through it, you know, and, and over the years, we've become a really tight group of friends. And so, yeah, I, I think now we're at the point where there's career aspirations, you know, everything in, in due time. And if it, if it shows that it's worthwhile, but um, it's also just a good excuse to come together as, as a group of five best friends. That's interesting to, to think about um, sort of that, that part of things where you're, you're doing something for leisure and that leisure becomes a little bit more serious where as your lives change, uh, you know, the degree of seriousness has to change. Uh, yeah. Yeah. I, I think so. I, I think we've gotten to the point now where um, when we play gigs, obviously like we're bringing in revenue. Um, we have people who will travel to see us um, a really strong following online, especially on Twitter and, and Instagram and those areas. And so now it's at the point where I, I think we, we have to take it a little more serious because people really care about it um, outside of just what used to be our friends and our family. So um, it's cool. It, even if it stays a hobby or a side job, um, I think we all love it enough and we get to spend time together. Yeah. Um you know, you had mentioned that most of the songwriting initially was done by Wilson. Um, has that has that continued, or uh, tell me a little more about um, the way that a song develops, or who develops that, and how how that process works? Yeah, yeah. So we um, we kind of what we used to do back in the days, we'd get all five of us together in a room with our instruments and our amps cranked up to seven seven to ten, um, too loud. And we'd try to play together and play parts and we'd try to write songs like that. And, and by like 2017, we figured out that that didn't work. <laughs> and so we started actually doing demos and um, a lot of the songwriting happens between you know, myself, Wilson, and then um, Justin, when he can be in town, he's living in Jersey right now. Um, and then we do have a good friend named uh, Mike, and his nickname's Crush, and he, he often joins us to songwrite. So we get in a room and we build it kind of part by part. And so we might have a melody or a chorus or a guitar um, rhythm that we really love. And then we just, we build that and we put that into software and, and build a demo out and take that into the studio with us. Uh, how much, uh, you, you mentioned the studio, how much of the writing do you do before you ended up in the studio and how much was done sort of as you listened. Um, I, cause I'm once you're, <laughs> uh, once you're in the studio, then that's, that's dollars and cents, uh, mm -hmm. going in there. So, uh, what kind of level of preparation do you do before, uh, before you work on sort of a final, final product? Yeah. So it depends on the session. Um, we, we go to a studio called Always Be Genius Studio in Crown Point, Indiana, and we've worked with Seth for four years now, and we love, we love working with him, and we um, occasionally bring in Derek Discanio. He's from a band called State Champs, and he produces, so um, we've written one song fully in the studio with Derek and Seth, but a majority of the time, what we do is we make demos, and we'll for Cherry, I think we probably had for 11 songs, we had more than 20 to 25 demos. And so we, those are fully fleshed out 
songs and we have the parts in there and then we take them in and we pick and choose. And so a lot of the studio time is spent tweaking. So maybe we don't love the melody for this chorus and we change that in the studio or um, the chord progression needs to change a little bit. But we can do that there pretty efficiently, but to write a song in the studio for our timeline um, is kind of tough. And so we try to be prepared ahead of time and, and record a lot of those demos so that we at least have a framework for what we're doing. Yeah. Um, changing gears just a little bit, uh, you know, as a group, you've been together 10 years and you have, you've mentioned that uh, social media aspect and what that has, how that has sort of influenced your ability to um uh, gain a following and fans and uh, promote shows and things of that sort. Um, and there's also a, a particular visual element that comes with that. Now, I mean, obviously we're on a podcast here, but, um, yeah. you know, you, you have some some pretty uh, interesting visual content with your music videos. And it seems yeah. like uh, the music video uh, these days is almost as critical as maybe the songwriting or the song itself. Uh, I'd love to hear more more about the development of, of the videos and um, yeah. uh, what goes along with that. Yeah, no, uh, it, music videos are really interesting, I think, because um, we love to make them, but recently we've seen like very levels of engagement with them. So um, I, I don't know, you know, it, it, you have to always ask yourself, is the investment worth it? And I think it is for us because we love creating them. We love the storyline. Um, but there's there's less engagement with videos. You know, MTV used to pump music videos all the time. So, of course, you make one for that. But now we don't have a massive YouTube following. But I think when you really want to tell a story and you want to tell it well, you, you create that video content to back that up. And so we have some different ones. The buzzing music video, which is off of our latest, um, what's part one to a, to a two-part joint album on uh, The Color Infinite. That one was a little more thematic and some slow motion. Um, but then if you go back to the music video we have for a song called On the Ropes, we're in 90s jumpsuits and just being ridiculous and walking around in the street with all kinds of props and things. And so some of my favorite things to do in the band is to think about what that can look like and, and try to make people laugh when we can. Um, but then we also want to create some really cool imagery that goes with a, a song like Buzzing, which is a little more serious, and we want it to look cool, feel feel how we think the song should should feel when you're listening to it. Yeah, I, I imagine um, in terms of that image development of, of sorts, like maybe that's, that's where the videos play in? Yeah, yeah, I think so. And then, you know, I think we'll have a song coming up to where we want to tell more of a story. Um, We've, we've done a little lesson of that in the past where we, we kind of walk along the timeline or um, get a little more like movie related with it. Um, but we, we want to try and be creative like that because we all have a lot of different passions. But um, I think some of us in the band really like, like the visual element. And, you know, Justin as a guitarist has a background in design. So he does a lot of our designs and he actually edited the gravity music video based off of footage we had somebody somebody else shoot so um that's fun for us and then that gravity video is one where we just wanted to show people um 
the side of us that's in the studio having fun and just kind of being who we are. But I think it just creates a, a bit of a look inside, you know, what how we view things and how we view the songs that we write. Yeah, I, I think that, you know, seeing some of that behind the scenes uh, footage and how, you, how you're putting a song together, it really adds to this element of, well, it didn't just come out of nothing, right? Like there's yeah. a... A lot of times as the listener or a, a viewer of art, the, I'm able to see like the end product or listen to the end product, but there's a whole, whole backstory to everything that went into that. And I think that that's a, that's, that's an interesting concept to think about is like the 10 years of work that went into the, the two minutes of song, right? And, yeah. Well, it, the, the crazy thing is too, that we... We're, we're such a weird band because we we came like out of the garage and just figured it out for the first few years and then we all went to college and so there's a four-year period where we really didn't do much we played a couple shows but then we you know got together in 2017 and that's when we started really a path of releasing music pretty consistently and we decided that um, let's actually, you know, spend time on this, really focus on getting better at it and, and treat it like um, it's a passion that deserves more of our time. So, yeah, when you look behind the curtain, there, I can promise you there's verses in one song that we spent a day on, just a verse. And so it's, <laughs> you get caught up in things like that. But I think it's worth it if you really care about it. Yeah. Um, can you describe... Uh maybe a time of uh, frustration or uh, real challenge, uh, either personally as a band, band member or as a band collectively that um, you've had to overcome uh, and maybe yeah. a little bit about the way that you've been able to do that. Yeah, that's a really good question. Um, so, uh, and I'll even point to recently, I think we, the the digital world of music now has changed a lot of things and we we didn't really come up in the cd era we did and we didn't we weren't selling cds to a larger audience when we first started we were selling them to local kids and our friends so we weren't dependent on that um but now you know if we want to exist as a band in a career format um we have to sell our music online and we have to get streams and in addition to playing shows and selling merch. And so um, when we release Cherry, if you go to our Spotify portfolio profile, you'll see a song called Waterfall that has, you know, 700,000 plus streams. And that's been our most successful song um, from both a, you know, outreach and then financially. And so when we had a couple other songs that got playlisted, um, not quite to that level, but um, right during that album cycle and then after. And so I wouldn't say we got used to getting playlisted, but we we maybe um, expected to at least have an opportunity for it. And so when we released this last um, seven songs, we didn't get the same playlisting that we got in the past. And so from a stream count, they aren't they aren't doing as well, but you know, on our end, we feel like we wrote better songs, we spent more time, um, and put more effort into it, even put more effort into the marketing approaches. And so when you don't necessarily get exactly what you're expecting, um, you have to you have to rethink it. And, and so when you look at 
the stream numbers, all of that being organic, it's something that we should be celebrating. And we just have to tune our minds to that, um, that we have a captive audience that listens to our music. Um, even if we don't get playlisted, it's still a success for us. And so um, you just have to kind of run with the punches and then think of the, the approach for the next batch of songs and how you want to get it out there and, and uh, push the marketing so that maybe it gets on a playlist or two. I think it's interesting, you know, there's, there's a little bit of a theme that has developed in this podcast, talking to artists, um, of various, uh, levels. And, uh, you know, what I hear you talking about here is a little bit of that tension that I've heard from other artists in terms of, um, wanting to create something that you're very, very proud of, but also sort of this, uh, audience factor that plays into, the the metrics of success right like so you know you're going to keep writing songs that are meaningful to you um but to make it a career where's how do you how do you craft what you make so that others come on board and how what's the what's the ratio of 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 that that um or what's that formula look like and how does it maybe change um uh, as you as you try and pursue something as a career uh, and and measure that success. Yeah, I, I think during this first set of songs, we had set some streaming goals um, that we haven't necessarily met, but then you have to you have to step back and, and think about it. I mean, we we're in a very different place than we were three, four years ago when we played to our friends and our family, you know, and and you have to celebrate that there's people, you know, we have people in England who message us every day, almost, or, you know, like uh, people around the world who care about it. And that to me is, is such a win. So you can't get hung up on a number, on a song, on one platform. Um, and so I think for us, that just involves revisiting why we're doing it. Um, and even if we didn't meet that goal, okay, what's the next one? And do we still have a chance to get there? And, and we do. So, um, yeah, I think you just have to set your expectations appropriately and then uh, just use it as fuel to work harder because it, nobody knows the, uh, the thing that really ticks in Spotify and Apple Music and that grabs. You just have to try different things and be open to change and um, maybe meeting different audiences if, if we need to release songs that are um, slightly different in style, maybe here and there. Um, so I think we're open and we still appreciate what we have. That's the important thing. Yeah. Well, Riley, thank you so much for, um, coming on and spend some time. And we look forward to hearing your music and watching, watching the band develop and, uh, see where you go from here. Thank you. I uh, appreciate it and excited to rock out at the uh, Leopard Lounge tomorrow night in the Temple Theater. Thank you for listening to the Saginaw Art Museum podcast. You can stay connected with the museum through our website and social media channels. We invite you to become a subscriber of this podcast or become a monthly contributor to the show to help us carry out our mission of providing art for all.